Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layers podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. Today, our guest is Justin DeGeorge, the Vice President of Marketing at Nespresso USA. Nespresso, of course, is known as the pioneer and reference for the highest quality portioned coffee. And maybe also for those George Clooney commercials you see around big tentpole events like the Super Bowl. Justin has led the marketing function for the U.S. since June 2019. And before Nespresso, he held a variety of marketing roles at Nestle and elsewhere. Welcome to Hidden Layers, Justin. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm happy to be joining. So tell us a little bit about what Nespresso USA means and your role within the company. Sure. Yeah. As you mentioned, you know, we are a coffee company, you know, at our core and we've um, really enjoyed a tremendous amount of growth um, in the U.S. over the last few years. Um, as we've really established a foothold, we launched a new coffee system, our Virtuo system um, that offers a range of coffee options and a larger size cup of coffee um, than our original solution did. And, and we've really, um, again, been accelerating. And my role um, as VP of marketing is really focused primarily on our brand uh, product and, and customer strategies. And, and the team I oversee um, essentially sits across six pillars. Um, there's a brand communications group that really leads our content, advertising, media, PR, social initiatives. There's a team focused on product marketing that really works across you know, our full portfolio of products and works really closely with our, our team members at our headquarters. Um, we have a group that's focused on customer experience, really engaged on CRM and lifecycle and thinking about lifetime value. Um, there's an insights and analytics team that is really kind of feeding and powering um, a lot of what we're doing within marketing and across the organization. Uh, there's a team focused on shopper marketing. And then we also have a team focused on uh, our B2B business, our professional line um, within uh, offices, uh, hotels, and restaurants. So tell us a little bit about that mix. Uh, especially, let's say, before the pandemic, right? Because I think uh, everybody was at home during the pandemic. But before the pandemic, was it because we have at Cognitive, we have an espresso machine at the offices. Um, was the mix even? Was it mostly offices or, or the larger, more powerful machines? You know, tell us a little bit about the, the consumer mix before, before the pandemic. Sure. Um, we have in the U.S., um, had a really strong and, and pretty sizable uh, in-home consumer business. And our professional business um, was growing uh, quite well, right, in advance of the pandemic and, and primarily um, seeing success, again, in, in offices and restaurants. Um, but I would say that our primary kind of foothold in kind of the largest percentage of our business um, was really our, our in-home business um, with uh, consumers. And, and is that different in the U.S. than than other markets for Nespresso? It does. You know, it, it varies depending upon um, what geography you're in. Uh, in some markets, the professional business, um, you know, kind of rivals or is pretty large percentage of, of the overall business. Um, but uh, yeah, for us, we really try to think, you know, across um, across uh, kind of boundaries, right? We we try to think about. Um, the, the coffee experience that we can enable, um, whether it's in your home, whether it's at work, whether it's in a restaurant, um, and ensure that we're trying to show up, you know, as a, as a single brand um, with kind of a, a common uh, fixation and obsession um, with quality, you know, uh, attention paid to convenience, 
um, and sustainability really kind of underpinning everything that we do as well. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about Virtual then. Uh, it, it launched before the pandemic? It did. Yeah. So Virtual has been in the market now um, for a little over six years. Um, oh. It was a new technology that um, allowed us to essentially offer um, a, a full-size kind of cup of coffee. And we have a range now where we go up to um, well above kind of eight ounces. We just launched a, a pour-over style um, that puts us up to around 18 ounces. But it, it enables um, an extraction technology that, that kind of replicates um, some of the textures and notes um, of espresso. So it's really a, a revolutionary technology um, it's really gained a foothold um, in the American market because so many, you know, American consumers um, have grown up drinking larger cups of coffee, right? And some of them, of course, like the smaller espressos, um, but the vast majority of consumption really is in that larger size. So that's helped us unlock uh, really um, new kind of opportunity uh, in the market in the reaction and the feedback we've gotten as it relates to the quality of the product um, has been. Uh, really astounding, and it's allowed us to to capture um, quite a bit of business and growth share pretty significantly, and uh, it's been a nice ride. Okay, so you have virtual, you have uh, a lot of in-home consumers, then COVID-19 comes along, and how does that affect sales? I would think that they skyrocketed, and you ran out of coffee. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, you know, I think, I think we, we certainly saw a surge, right. And I think when we, when we think about um, the impact of COVID, obviously that, you know, there are so many um, immediate things that you want to focus on as an organization in terms of customer and employee safety. Um, but absolutely it was pretty clear early on that what, what COVID and the pandemic um, were really starting to accelerate um, were things that were really kind of core to who we were, right? So there was this desire um, for uh, superior in-home coffee experience. When you're spending a lot of time in home, right, and you love coffee, um, that becomes something that, you know, is a, a must-have, right? So you certainly saw um, a lot of people looking to upgrade, you know, that coffee experience. Um, so we saw new customers come in. We saw existing customers who were obviously expanding, you know, their uh, consumption with us because um, they didn't have, you know, many other options. And I think what um, we have been focused on again is really that that quality story. And I think um, that was something that was true before the pandemic. It has been true um, during the pandemic, and I think it's been an opportunity for people to really kind of say you know, the quality of, of coffee I'm getting, right, through uh, through Nespresso, you know, how does it, you know, equal or, or potentially exceed some of uh, the experiences that they were having, you know, out of home with coffee shops or other kind of solutions. So that's been um, really a, a journey that we were on before. And I would say COVID has absolutely accelerated that. Then the other big thing is, you know, we really grew up as a D2C brand, right? We've always really kind of had um, D2C at our core, digital at our core, and when this happened, I think we were well positioned from a business model perspective um, to accelerate. And, and so much of that, you know, the unsung heroes with so many of these stories is, you know, to your point, you know, you, know, the, you see demand go up, but um, our supply chain team, our customer service team, they 
really adapted and pivoted quickly to ensure that we could meet you know, these new expectations. We could service the customer. We could keep things in stock. Um, they really have been the engine, I think, behind so much of the growth that we've had uh, over the last year and a half. So when, when things shut down in March of last year, uh, New York City, especially where I was at the time, became a a wasteland for coffee, right? So, you know, every morning you see the lines at the Starbucks, at the Blue Bottle, at all these places that people went to every morning and were loyal to. So when that all happened, of course, there's an opportunity for you. But how how did you see that? Did you start thinking about who you wanted to sort of conquer and convert? Uh, did things change in your strategy from a consumer target? It's a great question. You know, what's what's fascinating, I would say, for, for our business is there's so many different, when you think about targeting, there's so many different elements um, and attributes that you can look at. And what we've really found over the years is that um, for those consumers who really care about their coffee experience, right, they really appreciate the quality. They also really care about what goes into um, the product from a sustainability uh, perspective. Um, those are the things that um, really correspond to the best customers for us, right? We found that if people don't care that much about coffee quality and they're not really kind of um, as engaged, then ultimately that relationship um, doesn't, doesn't necessarily end well for us. So I think um, those people, right, a lot of the people that you're mentioning um, fit that profile. Like they did have an appreciation for um, these coffee house experiences and they had an appetite for that. Um, so I think many of them did um, really kind of fit squarely within the target that we had established. Um, and from our perspective, it was really just um, staying focused on, you know, the story, um, the stories that we had been telling, um, trying to figure out, you know, such an important element of coffee is tasting the coffee, right? Experiencing it. It's sensorial. Um, so without having the opportunity to do that in person, um, absolutely have to get creative with how you do that virtually um, through, uh, you know, content and storytelling and kind of uh, social engagement and things like that. So that was a, a challenge. Um, but I think it all came down to making sure that we were really fixated um, on that, that quality story for us. So can you talk a little bit about those, that content uh, and those, those channel strategies? What channels really worked for you? What kind of content did you try to develop? Uh, Absolutely. Quickly? Yeah. You know, and I, I know you, um, you mentioned that you, know, you, you guys are around the corner from, uh, from a boutique that we have, right? When, when those um, stores had to close or had to kind of change operations, uh, an issue and, and honestly a, a challenge that we had was we have so many wonderful um, you know employees who are highly trained highly passionate about coffee who work in those stores where if you walk in you know they can explain any and everything to you right they can talk you through their favorite coffees understand what you like um, and really share their own personal perspective so one of the things that we did do early on, um, is we engage them right to create content um, to develop you know recipes that could be made easily in home with what we assume most people kind of had in their pantries 
and leverage them um, in some uh, external facing communications on social in a way that we hadn't in the past, right? Um, the other thing that um, we also did is a lot of those same employees transitioned pretty quickly to um, other areas of customer service, right? They were supporting and answering phones. They were kind of responding to messages online. So really making sure that we, um, you know, accessed um, and kind of uh, leaned into that talent that was available, but just couldn't necessarily, um, you know, be in store in the way that they were in the past. And, and I think that's a great testament to the commitment, you know, of the team. Um, and that was a good moment of agility for the organization. So as things moved to a lot more streaming also during the pandemic, did you need to, you know, Nespresso is, is pretty famous for its big name actors and its ads uh, on television, on linear, you know, did you see, did you need to change sort of your approach to, to video? Uh, did you move more towards social or uh, display ads, things like that? How, how did you um, see that, that change? Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, we've been, um, we constantly are evaluating, um, our, our media strategies and our media mix. And we, we always try to ensure that, you know, the content that we're deploying across certain channels are, are largely meeting, you know, the best practices of the channels. And I think, um, we've absolutely, uh, been, um, probably accelerating our investment in certain social and digital channels, um, so the stories in the way that we tell those stories, to your point, they absolutely have to change. You can't have, you know, these very kind of long um, narratives that don't work. So I think one of the things that we have done is we have been more focused on just telling um, the the story of our, our system and our technology, right, as it relates to coffee. Um, we've also leaned in quite a bit to um, talking about and sharing uh, our purpose, right, as a brand. And, and I think um, it's something that's always been a huge part of who we are. It's core to our DNA. Um, but it wasn't something that always got the the same type of um, airtime, right? So you you mentioned, um, you know, George Clooney, our, our uh, brand ambassador, who's worked with us for 15 years or so. Um, the work that we did deploy uh, during the pandemic um, featuring him was much more around our purpose and the, the work that we're doing across our value chain and, and certain kind of commitments that we have in the sustainability area, which he's been really engaged on. Um, he's part of our uh, sustainability advisory board. So those types of stories, um, we think, you know, one, they allowed us to tell kind of more episodic um, stories, shorter content, allow um, really kind of targeted messaging across certain aspects of purpose or sustainability um, that allowed us to be uh, more efficient in things like, um, you know, streaming and online video and social um, instead of, again, um, being more reliant on, on some of maybe the historical, you know, here's the large uh, tentpole kind of campaign spot that's going to run everywhere. So, so absolutely. I want I want to talk about sustainability a little later, but but for now let's let's stay on um, you know uh, the marketing and the media channels. You know, how how do you, look? You're a D2C uh, focused company. You're pretty strong in e-commerce. Um, how how much of your sales actually happens online versus in the in the stores in the boutique stores? 
Sure. Yeah. We, we don't, we don't typically, you know, get into a lot of the specifics on the exact number, sure. but what I can tell you is that um, the majority, you know, of our sales do happen online. I think um, we have seen, you know, that ratio, even before the pandemic um, continue to kind of move in that direction. So from our perspective, um, we're definitely trying to think about, you know, what is that um, complete kind of customer experience, cross-channel, omni-channel, whatever we want to we want to talk about. But but digital and e-com um, is absolutely core to all aspects of our business, whether that's the sale of the machine to get the you know uh, relationship started, or whether it's the ongoing um, replenishment of of coffee. So, could you talk a little bit about? your process, your technologies or metrics that you're using to really complete that as, as a pretty advanced e-marketer, uh, uh, sorry, e-commerce marketer, how, where does it all start? You get, you figure out when somebody has a machine, they start uh, getting subscriptions, you're using email, you know, what does it look like uh, the marketing cycle for, for a loyal customer? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for us, um, I think we're, we're really thinking about as a company, how can we, from the very beginning, create a strong uh, long-term relationship, you know, with, uh, with customers. And that starts um, in onboarding, right? It starts with the moment that they um, experience the brand for the first time, the moment that they have a, you know, they buy a machine. So it depends upon which um, channel you know they're they're coming to us through? If, if they're coming through D 2 C or they're coming through another channel, um, then that experience is going to have to be tailored to that. And then what we do is we have um, you know a, a thoughtful um, welcome and kind of onboarding you know series of communications to ensure that um, they get the basics right. They understand um, about their machine. They understand the way that we um, have positioned our coffee portfolio, they understand how they can recycle and how they can do other things with that. So we try to ensure, you know, that over the beginning um, of that relationship that we're really thoughtful about what are the disproportionately impactful moments, right? The ones that if they go right, are going to lead to positive outcomes over time. And if they go wrong, are going to lead to negative outcomes, right? So we have, um, you know, teams who are, actively looking and kind of unifying all the data that we can to understand um, what those moments are. And then, you know, across our team, um, we're, we're absolutely doing, you know, different types of segmentation um, to inform the way that we think about specific product launches and understanding which segments within our database are going to respond to this type of limited edition or this type of accessory. So it really cuts across, but what we try to, we try to do as a team is have that balance between what is um, the long-term goal, which is that somebody's going to be um, with us for a long period of time and in a very happy, loyal, and ideally um, somebody who advocates for us. And then how are we also kind of managing the short-term realities of the business? So let's move to something that you've mentioned a number of times, sustainability, recycling, et cetera. Because I do remember um, when uh, some of the other single pod uh, coffee makers that w- we won't name uh, became extremely popular extremely quickly in the United States. And then all of a sudden there was a discussion of there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of uh, unrecyclable material. 
Um, but it seems that Nespresso has really um, uh, committed uh, to sustainability there. And I know that you have a commitment to being carbon neutral by next year. Uh, so can you talk a little bit more about the sustainability efforts and recycling, recyclability of the pods, things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. In, in you know, the point that you just made on, on the carbon neutrality commitment, right? Um, about a year ago, we, we made that announcement and we moved up the timing. Um, you know, we, we had it on the roadmap, but there was um, internal urgency to move um, even more quickly, like, given the reality of what's happening, um, you know, around the world. So I, I, that makes me extremely proud. Um, and there's a lot of work that, that needs to go into that. And, um, and we're, um, again, on track to, to deliver that at global level um, next year. Now, sustainability for us, um, it really is core to who we are, right? And it's, it's inextricably linked to so much of what we've talked about. Like when we think about sustainability um, as a brand, you've heard me talk about quality um, so often already, right? In, in this quality coffee experience, those things are inextricably linked, right? So for, um, you know, since 2003, you know, we've had a, a program uh, in place um, where we work with uh, certain partners and we work directly with over 120,000 farmers around the world, right? And we have long-term relationships with them. And the goal is to help them improve the, the quality and yield of their harvests while really protecting, you know, their environments, um, their communities to ensure that they can, you know, continue to produce, um, they can continue to grow, they can continue to thrive. And, um, it also, again, provides kind of continued access to this high quality coffee. So when we think about sustainability, it's not kind of this separate thing that sits out there. Um, it really is the reason, right, that the quality is what it is. Um, and that continues through the entire um, value chain, right? You, you talk about recycling, you talk about our capsules. Our capsules um, are made of aluminum, right? And aluminum is a really fascinating material because number one, um, it protects the coffee, right, in a really um, meaningful way. And, and it ensures freshness um, and it ensures that all the work that happens on the farm kind of doesn't get lost by the time it gets to the consumer. But the beauty of aluminum is it's 100% recyclable, right? So that, um, again, allows us to have a material that, you know, addresses quality, but also is sustainable. So in the U.S., um, we have a lot of different programs in place. Consumers can bring their capsules to any of our retail locations. We also have a partnership with UPS where we will send consumers prepaid bags um, where they can drop it off at any UPS uh, pickup point. Um, and recently in 2019, we even worked uh, directly with the city of New York um, to invest over a million dollars to add capabilities to their recycling facilities to enable curbside recycling of our capsules um, for those people who live in New York, which is one of our largest markets. So we are 100% committed um, to driving, uh, again, active recycling to, to really impacting you know, um, our, our carbon footprint and to ensure that, again, sustainability is, is core and part of everything that we do and, and not necessarily just you know, a, a CSR campaign or a marketing message. It really is um, central to who we are. One more thing I wanted to cover actually to go back uh, back to the to the metrics discussion. 
data must be pretty key for a marketer like yourself. Data on the consumer, uh, life, lifetime value, uh, all these pieces. Do you focus a lot on your data science? Do you rely on your agency partners uh, to help you with insights? Are you using machine learning uh, to look at patterns and identify new opportunities? Tell us a little bit more about the data science side of the business. Sure. So we are um, we're investing a lot internally, you know, to build out um, our own capabilities, and I think um, we have a, a growing um, insights and analytics team um, that has um, data science capabilities, that has data engineering capabilities, um, and what we're really doing, I would say, is. Um, we're focused a lot on building a strong uh, data foundation, right? There's a lot of um, different uh, data sets and we, we recognize that, um, you know, as a brand that has a direct relationship with customers, that having a single and unified view of them is so important um, to be able to show up in a way that really, you know, delivers for them, right? That feels personal, feels customized. So ensuring um, that strong kind of uh, foundation um, and unified view is really core to everything else that we do. Um, we're absolutely leveraging, you know, different um, machine learning or kind of AI um, in a range of areas, right? So that could be something that we're thinking about from a more deeply understanding um, social conversation, understanding um, customer service feedback, right, um, in a way that is difficult from a manual perspective. Um, I mentioned the idea of identifying what the um, signature kind of moments are um, that have a major impact on LTV. Um, so our uh, analytics team is actively looking at that and reviewing that and kind of optimizing that. Um, and then from a broader perspective, uh, investment perspective, we're also um, leveraging uh, certain attribution tools, um, right, to, to help um, measure kind of investments, whether that's that's media or otherwise, um, and also kind of model out potential impact, right? So we, we can be deliberate um, about what is the mix look like, um, where can we lean in more, where should we lean back a little bit, but really ensuring that we're not just looking at things um, when you're when you're playing media from a individual platform perspective and optimizing only within that but really optimizing across the entire um, ecosystem right because what we found is that yes um, maybe some of the brand building activities are going to be driving things like awareness and consideration and familiarity but there's also, you know, a subsequent impact um, further down the funnel. And same thing with lower funnel activities. It's not just that they're driving conversion. They also um, can have an impact on, on consideration and awareness. So it's ensuring that we're looking at um, those types of uh, insights um, through our attribution tools and modeling um, to better kind of connect the dots across the entire, uh, entire funnel and entire plan. So we're almost out of time. Justin, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to close out with what's ahead for you and Nespresso USA. Is Q4, what are you looking forward to in Q4 and on into 2022? Sure. Um, so for, for Q4, um, we're looking forward to, there's going to be a number of um, 
new coffees, you know, that we're going to be featuring and are going to be coming out. Um, you're going to hear a lot more from us um, the end of this year and all through 2022 um, on a lot of what I've already mentioned in terms of um, sustainability commitments, um, you know, us as a, as a brand really um, enabling and, you know, our values and, and kind of acting um, against our purpose. So that's the area um, that I would expect us to to be leaning into um, the most uh, through the rest of this year and into 2022. And we're really just excited to continue, um, you know, the journey that we've been on um, and continue to, to, to grow in the way that we've been growing. So that's uh, really what we have ahead of us is to, to kind of continue, um, continue the plan and uh, continue to, to build the momentum that we've started. Speaking of flavors, let me ask you a quick question. Sure. Pumpkin spice. It seems to be a big deal almost everywhere and anywhere in the fall on any brand. Is it the same for Nespresso? It, <laughs> it is. And it's funny you mentioned that because I'm not, I'm not sure exactly when um, this is going to air, but I would, um, I would guess that by the time you know, people are listening to this, there will be a pumpkin spice uh, uh, option um, that's available. So it's a, it's a flavor that we introduced a few years ago in the U.S. We brought it back um, every year, and uh, it, it absolutely is a, is a crowd pleaser, and our, uh, our customers really love it. Coming out earlier and earlier every year, everywhere. <laughs> Why not just offer it all year round? I think that's what everybody wants to know from every coffee place. <laughs> we, will, we will take it under advisement. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been another edition of the Hidden Layers podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Fain. Thank you again, Justin DeGeorge, for joining us from Nespresso.